From Vermont Digger, I'm Mike Doherty. This is The Deeper Dig. This week, President Donald Trump's decision to withdraw U.S. troops from northeastern Syria has opened the door for Turkey to attack, potentially destabilizing the entire region. One Vermonter has been watching the situation carefully. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a catastrophe for the Kurds. It's a catastrophe for all of Syria. Peter Galbraith was a Vermont state senator from 2011 to 2015. He ran for governor in 2016. But beside his career in Vermont politics, he's worked overseas as a U.S. diplomat and often as an advocate for the Kurds, a population that spread across Iran, Iraq, Turkey, and Syria. As recently as last week, Peter was in the Kurdish zone in northeastern Syria, where he's working to help the children of ISIS fighters. There are about 200 very young children who are the product of uh, the rape of young Yazidi women by ISIS. And there are about 5,400 children who are in a really very difficult camp called Al-Hol, which is effectively run by ISIS. Peter says understanding the conflict that's flared up this week starts with understanding the Kurds. They are a national group with their own language, Kurdish, and they are the original inhabitants of that part of the Middle East. In modern times, they've never had their own state. In fact, they often say the Kurds are the most numerous people in the world who do not have their own state. And after the First World War, they'd been promised by the Allies uh, that they would have their own state, but instead they ended up partitioned among Turkey, Iraq, Syria, and Iran. And since they never wanted to be part of any of these countries, they've been at various times in rebellion against the countries where they were stuck. And the countries have responded with varying degrees of brutality. That brutality has included a genocide in Iraq led by Saddam Hussein in the 1980s and a repression by the Syrian government that lasted until about a decade ago. When the Syrian civil war broke out in 2011, the Syrian government eventually pulled its forces out of the northeast, the Kurdish area, so that they could fight in the west, and this gave the opportunity for the Kurds there to set up their own administration. But what Turkey, of course, fears is that the Kurds in northeast Syria will somehow attack into Turkey or support the insurgents in Turkey. You know, I've been following the reporting that's been coming out of that region in the past few days. And to be honest, in some cases, kind of struggling to understand the context around it. I wonder if you could help to explain what was the status of that region before Sunday, before this announcement that U.S. troops were going to withdraw? Well, if one thinks of the war in Syria, which is now in its eighth year, in fact, it was two separate wars in the area west and south of the Euphrates River, about two-thirds of Syria, it was a war between the Syrian government and a range of opposition groups, uh, which in the end tended to be dominated by Islamists and extremists. Hmm. By about uh, 18 months ago, the Syrian government had mostly won that war. There's still some ongoing areas of conflict, but the result is clear. In the area that's east and north of the Euphrates, the Syrian Kurds, and this is the Kurdish part of the country, had been fighting against the Islamic State. 
And that war essentially concluded in March of 2019 when the last ISIS uh, stronghold in Barguz fell. And so since March, in essence, Syria has been divided along the Euphrates between a Kurdish-controlled northeast and a government-controlled south and west, which had not been at conflict with each other. But this whole area has always been under threat, not only from the Syrian government, but from Turkey, which sees the Kurds as um, a branch of the PKK. This is a Kurdish insurgency in Turkey that's been fighting the Turkish government since 1984, And it is true that some of the cadres from the PKK do hold prominent positions in the Northeast Syria administration, but the Northeast Syria administration is much more than that. Hmm. And so this announcement that came through on Sunday that U.S. troops will be withdrawing from that region, how does that change things? What are the consequences of a decision like that? Well, the Syrian Kurds were the U.S. ally in the fight against the Islamic State. The the U.S. got involved in 2014 when the Islamic State took over a large area of Iraq and uh, a large area of Syria. And the Syrian army was unwilling or unable to fight them. The Iraqi army simply collapsed. Mm -hmm. And so after the collapse of the Iraqi army, the only people in Iraq opposing the Islamic State were the Kurds, in the north and east of Iraq, and uh, the only people who were really fighting the Islamic State in Syria were the Kurds. Hmm. The U.S. came to the assistance of the Kurds, first with airstrikes in in the fall of 2014, and then dropping weapons, uh, and then inserting uh, advisors. Uh, And so when Trump says that uh, we help them, yes, there's some truth to it, but then Uh, The U.S. uh, persuaded the Kurds to not just to liberate and defend Kurdish areas, but to continue the battle into Arab areas, uh, uh, which is a huge part of the area they control, like Raqqa and Deir ez-Zor. And in the course of essentially being the ground troops in the fight against the Islamic State, the Kurds lost more than 10,000 men and women uh, killed in action. Uh, By contrast, uh, the U.S. forces had around 10 casualties. The turning point in this week's crisis came on Sunday. The Turkish president, Recep Erdogan, called President Trump and told him Turkish forces would be moving into the Kurdish zone of Syria. The White House released a statement that night that said U.S. troops, which had been keeping Turkish forces at bay, would step aside. So uh, we have no soldiers in the area. We've been talking to Turkey for three years. They've been wanting to do this for many years, as you know. They've been fighting each other for centuries. They've been fighting each other for uh, hundreds of years. This has been going on. Uh, we were put into this battle, interjected. It was supposed to be a 30-day 30, a 30 period, and we've been there for many, many years. And it's time to get our words. I'm curious what you thought when you first heard about this announcement that came down on Sunday night? I was, I was shocked because it, it's a betrayal of an ally, an ally that we induced to get into the fight and certainly to carry the fight on into um, Arab areas. And you know, if you have any sense of decency, you don't do that to the ally. You don't do it to a, a people who sacrifice so much and put everything on the line 
to be friends of the United States. But, you know, having seen Donald Trump in action, you know, I think there's no ally that he wouldn't betray and really no limit to his treachery. I know in making this announcement, he tried to make the argument that these wars that the U.S. has been fighting in the Middle East are these endless wars, I think he called them. I think the people of this country, I campaigned in ending the endless wars. We're all over the world fighting wars. Half the places, nobody even knows what they're doing over there. And I feel that uh, we are doing the right thing, and I think the country feels that too. What's wrong with that argument? What's wrong with uh, using that as a justification for this kind of pullout? Because the U.S. involvement in the Syria war is not an endless war. It's not Afghanistan, where more than 100,000 troops were deployed at its peak in 2009, and where the U.S. has been there for 18 years. It's not Iraq, which the U.S. invaded in 2003, again, maxing out with 150,000 troops, and some of whom are still there. This is a war, a battle that was carried on by the Kurds against the Islamic State, which is a terrorist organization that had killed Americans and staged all sorts of terrorist attacks in Europe. And uh, the fighting was not done by Americans. It was done by the Syrian Kurds. What do you think the president's motivation is here? I find it very difficult to understand Donald Trump's motivations. The call with Erdogan was set up not to discuss this issue, but to placate the Turkish president, Tayyip Recep Erdogan, because Trump had uh, not agreed to a bilateral meeting during the U.N. General Assembly. Hmm. And in the course of the meeting, Erdogan made the case to Trump that um, you know the Kurds were terrorists and that uh, Turkey was willing to come in and it would fight ISIS and it would take over the ISIS prisoners. Trump, who hadn't prepared for the meeting, wasn't following his talking points, then agreed with Erdogan and the, and the White House put out the statement that it did saying that the United States uh, was, in effect, giving a green light to a Turkish invasion. I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit more. What exactly is at stake here for the Kurds and for this region? Well, for the Kurds, what's at stake is, is survival. There are about 3 million Kurds in northeast Syria. Almost the entire population is literally right on the border with Turkey. If you're in Kamishli, as I was last week... It's the largest city. It's really a, a shared city with New Saiban on the other side of the uh, border. It's just that there's a wall in the middle, of it, hmm. like Berlin in the old days. And that's true of Kobani, Amude, one of the other cities where I spent some time. You know, as I went around, you could just see the wall. If you're having an invasion and artillery and bombing and all that is going right now, they are striking at places where hundreds of thousands or well over a million people live. And so those people are fleeing their homes. They may never get back to them. Of course, some are are being killed. And then Erdogan is talking about putting into this area two million Syrian Arab refugees who had fled western Syria and were now taking refuge in Turkey. So they would be, if you will, deported to northeast Syria. Uh, He's said that he wants to build cities for them. But, you know, these would be cities, you know, where there are no jobs, where there are basically no services. And it's also quite likely that he'd put them into the houses of Kurds who had had run away, who had fled. Hmm. This is really a demographic change in northeast Syria. It also, you know, this is one of the more catastrophic consequences. It's also likely to 
take the war in Syria, which was winding down, and enlarge it. As I said at the beginning, there were two wars, the Kurds against the Islamic State in the east and the Syrian government against the opposition. Kurds had won in the east, the Syrian government in the west. But Turkey had backed the uh, opponents of the Syrian government in the west. And so what they're now doing is sending in Syrian Arab forces that they have sponsored, many of whom are Islamists and extremists, if they take over this whole area, the one-third of Syria that the Kurds have controlled, then you're going to have a major military force backed by Turkey that will be at war with the rest of Syria. And so an eight-year war that has taken 300,000 lives and which finally looked like it was going to end uh, is now likely to be reignited, and, and who knows how long it's going to take. And that's all stemming from this decision by the president this past week. It, it is all a consequence of Donald Trump's decision to give a green light to the Turkish president to invade and to abandon allies that uh, had stood by the United States. And uh, some of this is simply politics by the Turkish president. He was losing popularity. And uh, one way to regain popularity, and, and at least in that part of the world, is to, to start a war. And so that's exactly what he's done. How do we move forward from here? What, what do you believe happens next in this situation? Well, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not optimistic. I, I think that uh, Turkey is going to proceed with its military operations. I think... Uh, there'll be mass casualties among the Syrian Kurd civilian population, but a lot of Turkish soldiers are going to die as well, and that once Turkey takes over this area, it will bring in the Syrian groups that it has sponsored, and that these groups will then be fighting uh, Assad, the Syrian government, and the war will simply you know, continue for however long one knows. I mean, could be a decade. And one of the things that I've learned in a career that has very much been involved dealing with conflict situation with wars is that they always have unintended consequences. Hmm. You know, it, it's not for us to sit and think, well, there's a civil war in Syria that's continuing. It's not going to affect us. One way or another, something happens that you don't predict, just as, you know, who would have predicted back when Ronald Reagan started arming the Afghan freedom fighters, as they were called, the Mujahideen against the Soviets, that 20 years later, those very same people would come to New York and Washington and uh, kill 3,000 Americans. So who knows what the unintended consequences of, the, of uh, this, but the prospect now is for a many-year war, and it will be horrific for the Syrian people, but it'll probably be bad for us too. You can find a full transcript of our interview with Peter Galbraith at vtdigger.org. You're listening to The Deeper Dig, a weekly podcast from the VT Digger newsroom. Every Friday, we go deep on one key story. You can find more episodes at vtdigger.org or search for it and subscribe on your phone's podcast app, and you'll automatically get new episodes as soon as they land. We used music this week by Blue Dot Sessions. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Digger Newsroom. Have a nice weekend.